What did Kwasi Karteng do to cause such a crisis in the UK economy in the autumn of 2022? Learn what happened and how financial markets operate. It all started with an attempt to lower taxes. Because they said they're going to reduce the top rate of tax and they're going to reduce the medium rate of tax and kind of sprinkle some other taxes said it's left and right, some more specific things that had to do with manufacturing and uh, sort of customs-free zones and, and so on. Which, you know, it sounded a little bit strange from a political point of view, but it didn't sound initially like something that ought to have any impact on uh, sterling or on the balancing financial partners. It did, though. The initial effect was felt in sterling, sterling dropping. And everybody was like, hang on a second. Uh, is sterling dropping because of the pressures of inflation? Because of inflation has been like a kind of long-running problem since the pandemic and it's getting worse. The, the pandemic created inflationary pressures because it disrupted trade. Therefore, things were becoming more expensive. The war in Ukraine caused uh, an energy crisis which brought energy prices up, which now it's feeding its way through the supply chain, putting pressures on prices. And of course, if the raw materials that you buy are getting more expensive, if the costs of transport are getting more expensive, if it becomes more difficult to obtain stuff, this brings up prices, which eventually filters its way through the system, causing inflationary pressures throughout. In living memory, there was no inflation. Was there? Well, maybe in certain countries, right? But if you live in the West, so if you lived in the United States or, you know, in North America or you lived in Europe, nobody knows what inflation is. We haven't had inflation for like a good 15 years. We had sort of normal interest rates in the mid-2000s. And then we had the financial crisis. So in an attempt to kind of keep the money going, interest rates dropped to the bottom. Money was... The, the central banks were attempting to make money freely available. And because there was kind of sufficient supply and not a great deal of demand, then there was no inflationary pressure. There hasn't really been an inflationary episode, at least in the West, since the 90s, right? In the majority of the country. So nobody knows here what inflation is. Uh, the stuff at the supermarket that were like one pound items, they have always been one pound items. So we thought at the beginning that the pound was reacting to inflation, not so much to changes in uh, in the budget uh, in on Roman ports. But it was that, and in addition, something else. The markets looked at how much all this costs, and they thought that there might be a problem. So they thought, these guys are eliminating a top tier of tax. How much was this bringing as a revenue for the government when people were paying the taxes? X amount. They're limiting the middle rate of tax. How much was this bringing? Let's add this. In addition to that, they've got other tax incentives. They have a price tag. So one, two, three, let's add those together. Plus there's an energy support package to, pre to prevent households from, you know, everybody going insolvent because they have to pay so much for their energy bill. Let's add this. Let's add some support packages for business to deal with uh, the energy costs. And once they kind of added it all up together, they thought, have a second, this is like, wait, what's money? And I know that this is a, a rich country and a developed economy and all the rest. But, you know, if suddenly you're telling me you're going to have to borrow because they don't have all this money. So you're going to, instead of getting all this money in through taxation to pay your bills, I'll definitely, you know, let people go about their business without offering them additional money to help them with their energy bills. Now, if you're saying you got to do all this, where are you going to get the money from? You got to borrow it, right? And when the markets added all this together, they thought, 
Hamon Stack. It's humongous amount of borrowing. And they ask the government, hey, you gotta borrow, no problem, man. It's fine, we've done business with you before, but are you gonna pay this back? And the government went, I don't know, I'll tell you next week because I'll go for the train with my kids' fun buddies. At that point, Sterling went, because uh, the current, the exchange market thought there might be a problem. So these are all the people that are going to lend the government money to cover the cost of all these ideas that they had. If we're talking about financial markets, which is the, the, the key topic that I'm trying to explain here, what are financial markets? Financial markets are meeting places of the people who need the money and the people who have them. And what are the main actors in financial markets? Governments, sovereign wealth funds, private businesses, specific money operators like investment banks, major financial institutions. The people who try to save the money and invest it so that they can use it for something else like pension funds, big government corporations. So effectively, everybody that has an excess of cash that is not using right now needs to find something to do with that cash. I mean, a pension fund is not that has got billions of pounds available. It's not going to put them in savings account, right? is going to try and invest in somewhere. And the whole idea behind financial markets is that they provide this meeting place where all these people that are trying to put their money to some productive use and make a profit at the same time will find the people who can offer them avenues for investment. If we bring this to the current example that we're using, which is what I've been thinking, the government here clearly needs to get this money from somewhere. And they now take this demand or, or this aspiration to the financial markets that are stemming from local institutions, but they operate on a global basis. The British government goes out there and, and declares its desire to borrow that. Everybody else who's out there is thinking, this looks a little bit strange. We're not yet at the point that they're thinking, if I give these guys my money, maybe I'm not going to get it back. We're not there yet. Right? This is what happens in other countries. If you remember back uh, during the European debt crisis, which was an after effect of the, the global financial crisis. When European states tried to borrow money in the markets to address needs, and why these needs came at the here in our example, right now, they came out of a decision to spend some money on something. But sometimes you need to borrow money just to keep up with your everyday expenditure. Because not everybody has a balanced budget. That means that very often governments are running a deficit. It means that on a daily basis, they spend more money than they're bringing in. And this is perfectly normal. So don't let this scare you. All these things that people go around and say that, you know, government finances are really not different from your own finances. And, you know, you should understand debt and borrowing the same way. They're lying. If how home finances are a cat, government finances are a truck. It's got nothing to do with it. You might see both of them on the street. You know, a cat and a truck are totally different creatures. Nothing to do. It's perfectly normal for a government to have a budget debt, which means that they will be spending more money than they actually have, and they will bridge this gap with borrowing money in the financial markets. So they will take it from the people who have an excess of funds and use it for their purposes. And they will repay. So the problem is never that you're borrowing money. The question is always, what price are you going to have to pay? What interest are you paying to borrow that? That is the only question. And also the level of borrowing on occasion is less important than the interest. Rate. 
So Japan has more than 100% of GDP debt and has run this for like dozens. It's not a problem for Japan, but it was a problem for other countries. So to go back to what happened during the European debt crisis, the governments, as, a, as an after effect of the global financial crisis, they were running significant budget deficits and they were kind of falling behind because their expenditure was increasing while their incoming was dropping because the all the economies were in a recession. And those countries that already had a significant debt, they found it more and more difficult to borrow in the markets because the market said, yeah, you guys have already all this to pay off and now you're asking to borrow more money. Like to make it worthwhile for me, I mean, you know, you're a big country and all, you're not gonna go past, but ah, just in case, to make it worth my while and for me to take this additional risk because you borrowed so much money, I would like you to pay me a little bit extra. When this happened in Europe, the little bit extra that they wanted after a while became a lot extra. Up to the point that the governments reached a crisis level where they couldn't actually make the repayments of the loans without borrowing at very expensive rates and a lot of additional money, which then led to the situation that the markets really started to worry that the governments would default at which point they stopped lending money. And then suddenly you find yourself in a situation that you need to pay out a significant amount on a daily basis and you don't have it. What you do then, then you need an institutional response from somebody like the IMF who's going to lend you some money or the European Union because in the European crisis, this was within the Eurozone. So the European Union needed to lend some money or the IMF needed to lend some money to sort of address this problem. What's happening here, this is not a deep-seated problem. So it's not, it wasn't a crisis that came out of the UK having too much foreign debt that it cannot service. It did not come from the cost of that debt being very high. It came from the fact that suddenly the markets were presented with a proposition that said, we will borrow a great deal and we're actually not going to tell you how we're going to address this to have the money to pay you back. All of these people that are engaging in the financial markets, they said, okay, but we would like... Um, a little bit more money for it because now you guys you know you're just behaving a little bit funny you know we have this stuff from italy we don't expect this stuff from the uk so we would like a little bit more money in interest when this floated in the bond markets because the bond markets is where people buy and sell government debt there are in the broad domain of financial markets there are a lot of specialized sub areas where specific types of transactions take when we're talking about a government borrowing, we're talking about uh, government debt, which expresses itself in sovereign bonds that then you can buy and sell in those markets. Remember that things like sovereign bonds are tradable. It's not a bilateral law contract. It means that you can buy a government bond that says, you know, the Indian government, I give a thousand pounds to the Indian government, and in, uh, in five years' time, I come back and collect like a thousand pounds, one hundred. And you give a piece of paper that says, here is a, a promise from the Indian government to repay in five years' time for the amount. That is a tradable instrument. So you can actually sell it to somebody else. Because that allows, sort of enhances liquidity and enhances the possibility of transactions in financial markets. Now, all of this is super cool and a fantastic idea, and it's perfectly legit. And the whole point is for everybody to be comfortable that they invested in something they're happy with they took the level of risk they're happy with and they're getting a return for their investment that they have. Top notch. In the same way that you go to the supermarket and you select from a variety of products, the one that appeals to you, 
what you want to eat on the day, how much you want to spend on it, what is the quality of the product that you get. Everybody makes those selections. And the ability of people to transact in these international markets and then exchange these obligations from the governments, if we're talking about government bonds specifically, the ability to do this is a perfect way to allocate exactly the right amount of risk, the right price, and the right amount of return to everybody who wants. So what the British government said, we're going to sell new government bonds. And the market said, okay, but for us to take that on, we would like a little bit more in terms of price. It's cool. That's what normally happens. We hadn't reached the crisis point that people said, whoa, we're not going to lend you because we think you got more past. The problem is that since all these are tradable instruments, people buy and sell them all the time, like they do shares of corporations and so There's always a bit of buyers and sellers for this type of thing. It's a very dynamic market, very liquid, as we say. Liquidity means there's always a lot of people willing to buy, a lot of people willing to sell. What we fail to appreciate, the effect of this would have on the people who already have bought. Is remember, up until very recently, interest rates were almost at zero. In certain countries, you actually needed to pay the government money to buy their bonds. The Swiss were, and the Germans at some point, they were issuing bonds with negative interest. And you're thinking, why the hell would anybody buy an investment product that you actually have to pay them to get it? The reason was that you need to put your money somewhere. Like you're not going to extract your money in cash and going to hide it in a vault or Everything else is just more problematic. So the people who needed to put their money somewhere, they found themselves in a position that, yeah, they had to buy some of these bonds, even though they weren't paying anything or they had to pay together. Because interest rates were so low and there was no problem with the British uh, bonds, <laughs> a lot of people had those. Okay, I bought, a, let's say I bought a 10-year uh, bond with an interest rate for 0.005. So it pays next to nothing. So in theory, I just parked my money and gave the British government this money. I'm going to get it back in 10 years. I know it's safe. It's not going to go anywhere, but it's not really giving me a return. And you're telling me that, that I'm sitting there holding this. And now you're issuing a new one and you're paying 1%, 2% interest rate. Well, I done. What am I going to do with this? That's precisely the source of the problem. Anybody who had already the old bonds, that they, they tried to sell them on. So they can buy the, with the same money. They can buy the new ones. That is paying a lot more interest. These types of financial interest, uh, financial products, have what we call an inverse relationship of interest rate to price. Because they're tradable, they've got a price. It's like, I would like to sell you today a, a 1 million pound, 10 year UK government bond. Who wants to buy? And people are going to say, okay, I'm going to give you 800,000. I'm going to give you a million, right? Because you don't want it for a million. I want to make a profit. So I'll give you 800,000. The other guy's going to give you 600,000. The other guy's going to give you a 75. So when the interest rates go up, it means that you need to get people incentivized to buy them. They're not crazy happy as it is. So they're not, you know, falling over themselves to buy it. You need to give them an extra incentive. But the more you need to incentivize them, the more interest you need to pay to get them to buy it, the lower the actual value of the assets, which means that the stuff that you bought, if you bought at 0.005% interest, a 1 million pound bond in April, nobody will buy it now for a million pounds because if they had a million pounds, they could just go today and buy the one that pays a 2% interest. The more you need to pay interest to make the investment worthwhile for the people who already have it, the lower the value will be. 
because people are buying new ones, but people are also transacting in the ones they have already, and the price is fixed on the one you have already. The one you bought is like, I mean, they're not physical anymore, but if they were, it would be a piece of paper that says, good British government will repay this in 10 years' time at that price. That's fixed on the paper. Whoever holds that paper in 10 years' time gets that money. But of course, people are transacting on it in different price. This change in voice causes a problem because it pushes up in order to attract new investors. Everybody who already has the old bonds with the lower interest rate is trying to sell them on so they can buy the new ones. The more people are trying to sell, the lower the price. And we were in a situation last week where effectively everybody called their broker and said, give it a So suddenly everybody wanted to sell and not many people wanted to buy the old. So they wanted to buy them at really rock bottom prices. That's the nature of financial markets. Friends some things go up, some things go down, some people make money, some people lose. What's the big deal? The big deal that certain businesses and certain industries buy, for a variety of reasons, a huge proportion of government bonds. Because the government bonds are always considered the safest possible investment. So if you are an institutional investor, like a pension fund or a retail bank, you don't get to choose exactly how you invest your money because the regulatory rules say that you need to have X proportion of your money invested in something that's super safe, so you're not going to go bust. That proportion of your money for something that carries like a higher risk profile, that proportion of your money is failing. You know, that's okay. Try and do what you can to get the better return for your investors or your shareholders. But the pension funds, they really, because they need to be saved so they can take those pensions so not everybody starts to pay, they need to have a very, very big proportion of their investment in super safe things like government bonds. But they've got them already, they've got them, right? So what happened last week is that the value of that asset, because all of this has a price tag, right? So the pension funds looked at their portfolio and they sort of like stack full of these things. And if we had to sell them tomorrow to pay people their pensions, we started off here. And if we're selling them today, we're down here. So the price dropped so significantly that it wiped out the asset base of the pension funds. Isn't it good? Yeah. So if you have, and here in this country, the pension funds are private, they're not public. Some of them are partly public supported, but the bulk of them are private. You know what happens to a, pen, a private pension fund where it goes bust? So the people are not going to get their pension. There is a system where there is some authority that will buy, take over a failed pension fund and save some value. But the reality of the matter is that if you're in a pension fund that's going insolvent, you will not be getting the pension you expect. You're going to get a loan. If all the pension funds go bust at the same time, there's nobody who can save. So last week, while this was going on, there was this dynamic in the markets, pension funds called the Bank of England and said, we're toast. Goodbye, the last one will turn off the lights. I said, if we wake up, if you don't do something right now, two more morning, the entire pensions industry in the country has gone insolvent. And that's why the Bank of England made an unheard of, unprecedented intervention. That's what they were saying in the Financial Times. And they said, we will buy the government bonds. 
which we need to take a step back and explain. The central bank is not the same thing as the government, because the central banks are independent from the governments. The central banks are a state institution that is responsible with controlling the money supply in the country. They're the ones who, you know, in a way you can print out money, but they're not the government. They transact with the government, yes, but they work in an independent fashion. During the pandemic, during the financial crisis in the past, but more recently during the pandemic, the central banks were pumping money into the economy. They were creating new money out of nowhere and giving it to people. Now, the central banks were purchasing corporate bonds, because in the same way that the government is issuing these bonds, a corporate entity can issue a bond. Microsoft could say, here's something that says, you lent me a thousand pounds today, I'll give you back a thousand pounds in a hundred in a year's time. Like everybody can do this, it's perfectly legit. Financial markets also transact in corporate bonds as well as uh, state. So they go the, the central banks in many countries were buying corporate bonds in order to inject liquidity into the market. Where did they find the money to buy those bonds? They just made them. It's like the genie, you know, you ask for money, you get money. Because the central bank controls the cards. So if they say, I wish to credit your account with a million pounds, they don't have to pick it up from somewhere. They just did. The only limitation in the central bank's ability to create money is inflation. Because if you create too much profit, then you generate inflationary pressures in the economy and inflation erodes the value of money. Because 10% inflation means that the prices are going to go up 10% every year. So the pasta, pack of pasta I bought uh, yesterday for a pound is going to be a pound the next year. And it's going to be like a pound uh, 21 the year after, and so on and so on. The value of my salary reduces. So the same thing happens with the money in general. If the, if the central bank creates too much money, it gives people too much money, and there's too much of it circulating, it will start increasing prices. So that's basically how it balances out. The, if you start giving money like crazy, it creates inflation. Inflation hits the way up the value. So the numbers get bigger, but the value does not. This thing, you always buy the same thing. It's just, you know, the number that you have to purchase goes up and up and up and up and up. All. So the central bank said, in our case here, we will buy the government bonds, which had an immediate effect in the markets because suddenly there was a buyer who didn't care about the interest because the Bank of England was not seeking to make a profit, it was just seeking to support the market. So, since suddenly there was a lot of demand for this, there was no reason to incentivize people to buy it, therefore, the interest rates started. So, the value of the bonds stabilized because there were a lot of buyers for them, the interest rates started to drop, and because the new ones were not as attractive as they were a day ago, there was less incentive for the people who had the old ones to sell. So the asset base that the pension funds have accumulated in government bonds increased in value from the bottom that it was as the whole thing kind of began a little bit more stable.